inspired, informative, and entertaining. This broadcast is brought to you by Women in Christian Leadership. Welcome to It's Her Story, a weekly broadcast featuring women who inspire us to be the best versions of ourselves, bringing the heart, the soul, and the brilliance of women to the forefront by sharing their unique stories. I'm your host, Karen Colonna, engaging guests to share their stories of how God has led them to it, delivered them through it, and prepared them for it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of It's Her Story. I am Karen Colonna, and we are so honored and excited to have my friend Natalie join us this week. Um, Natalie Pugar, we met, oh, I don't know, a couple years ago through day jobs um, and became friends and found out that we, uh, we had endured something together that Natalie is going to share with us today and give us a little bit of a perspective on um, when some hard things hit you in life, how you can navigate them, and how the path isn't always defined. Sometimes uh, the road rises to meet you where you least expect it. Natalie is the marketing director at um, the Dayton Center for Neurological Disorders, and she is the co-host of A Mom's Life podcast. But most importantly, Natalie is mom to five-year-old Emma and one-year-old Cameron and Samuel, who was born sleeping at 33 weeks in 2019. She's been married to her husband, Doug, since 2015. She loves bar classes, acapella music, peppermint patties, and in-depth conversations over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. She's a former television investigative journalist who now does marketing. And after the stillbirth of her son, Natalie took comfort in connecting with other lost moms. Her mission now is to help others dealing with pregnancy loss and grief by talking about the things the world doesn't want to. I welcome you, Natalie. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me. Wow. Apologies right now for my, uh, my voice. I do have a little bit of laryngitis going on. You know, we were talking about rescheduling and I, I told Natalie her voice was kind of sexy and it might, <laughs> yeah. might be a little bit differently with our listeners. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> From a podcasting perspective, yes, it is. You got to take off your perfect audio hat and go with the flow. Exactly. It's hard to do. So, and I do have to say, I did share that Natalie is the host of a mom's life podcast. And so I had the opportunity to be a guest on Natalie's podcast and she has been a mentor to me. So if anyone out there has ever given a talk to people who know your business or you presented to your boss, it's kind of similar. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm in the room with the teacher. Not at all. My gosh. It's just a conversation. That's the best part. It is a conversation. And you know, this is not the easiest conversation to have. Some of the folks who have heard my story over the past couple months in losing my daughter, Caroline, I got to know you really better shortly after your experience of carrying and giving birth to Cameron. We found a commonality in our loss but difference. And so today, as we share with our listeners, this is a different journey from a different perspective. And it's such a gift to the moms that have endured this. I, I love the lot that you said to, to, to give voice to the grief that nobody wants to talk about. So let's just jump right in and, and maybe tell us a little bit of what brought you to that point of loss. And then we'll unpack and discover what is getting you through the recovery from that. Yeah, <clears throat> part of me. Absolutely. Um, well, that uh, started in 2019. 
that's when my journey began, uh, this new journey that I call it, uh, my second kind of life, as you will, because I think life, life changed for me dramatically after that. Um, it was 33 weeks along with my um, second pregnancy. We didn't know <clears throat> what if it was a boy or a girl at the time. And I uh, just woke up one morning and I didn't feel uh, the baby moving. So uh, frantically rushed to labor and delivery and heard the words that a no pregnant mom wants to hear. There's no heartbeat. And that was at 33 weeks, you know, and I was like, uh, what do we do now? I mean, you, it's not a miscarriage and it's not a, a, a death after a birth. So it's this weird kind of in-between land um, that I read so eloquently once. It's, you know, the middle ground be between carrying a baby and having a baby. And so I had to give birth knowing that our son died and um, I had to give birth to, you know, a baby that would, I wouldn't be able to take home. Um, so it was a, it was, it was a, crazy time in my life uh, and our lives and um, a big physical journey um, for me as well as an emotional one. But uh, he was born <clears throat> via C-section. That was our plan initially because I had my first one C-section as well. And it was uh, such a lonely birth. The, you know, when they call it a still birth, it's silent birth. It's because there's no crying. You know, it is completely silent and it's eerie. And it takes a lot of strength to get through those moments, you know, just like any birth, but this one in particular. So we gave birth uh, to a beautiful, beautiful boy. We named Samuel. He was five pounds and just honestly, perfection. He looked like he was just sleeping. And uh, we got to spend some time with him, you know, before, before we had to give him give him away. And it was, it was a, it was really good for us to, to say our goodbyes that way, but it's, it's a very, another part of it. It's a weird kind of death is because you say hello and goodbye in the same day in the same breath. Yes. And so it's a lot of emotions going on, right? I mean, you still love this baby and you, you waited so long to see him. You get to see him, but you also have to say goodbye at the same time. So that was our, uh, it was in September of 2019, and that is where kind of our journey began um, of grief, of loss, of new life, of trying to get through a faith again and finding, uh, finding God again. So yeah, that was kind of the, it in a nutshell. When you face that kind of loss, faith is a tough word because at least for me, the God that I believed in is a good God. And how does, how does a God who loves us, at least the word that I used was allow this kind of suffering in any way, shape or forms, the lack of life in Samuel's case. And I don't know, tearing out of your heart as parents, as we know all too much we share, not having your baby, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And then the journey back to that, which we'll talk about through the rest of our conversation, how you find it. Because when, when I endured it, more at diagnosis than by the time she died, I just thought that I was paying for every sin in my life. Like everything that I did wrong, he had lined up this for me. And it wasn't about me. I know that now. 
and then the world. I, I, so I can imagine here you are postpartum, all the emotions of what you should have. And then all of the hormones of what is no longer working in your body that has been prepared for 33 weeks. I'm curious, how did you just cope day to day at that point in time? It really was day to day. It was hour by hour at some point <clears throat> because, you know, your milk comes in, you have every single thing that your body is betraying you. And that was a big part of this loss. It wasn't just, you know, he died. I was mad at myself. I, I mean, that was my job. Your job as, as a pregnant mother is to protect your baby and to bring it into the world. And so I felt like my body failed me. And I, uh, I yeah, I felt like I didn't, and I didn't deserve it. And I, I don't know what caused it. And to this day, I still deal with that because my husband didn't have that uh, guilt, that grief, you know, as much so because he didn't have the, he wasn't carrying him, you know? So it's a very physical loss as well as an emotional one. And yeah, the world does respond to it differently. I mean, you are postpartum. I mean, having that conversation, as we've talked about several times with people who don't know, who knew you were expecting a baby, congratulations that are in order, I bet. You know, you have to have that, that line that you kind of say, well, you know, that had a sad ending to that story. You know, you have to have that line and expect it. You know, that was the other thing I had to expect and dread going to those places like, you know, your grocery store that you always know that certain clerk or the bank or, you know, at work was horrible. So by the, or the hairstylist. So by the time all of those uh, occurrences were done, it was such a relief to be like, okay, everyone should know now. <laughs> uh, but else on the outside, it's people can, people can feel the pain of our grief, right? They can be, oh my gosh, but you just what you walk through the everyday single, the normal things, nothing is normal. Nothing is normal. Getting out of bed isn't normal. We've talked about this. I was um, at mom's weekend with my daughter last weekend and meeting all these people. Oh my gosh. How many kids do you have? Mm -hmm. The and hardest was, question to answer. Oh my gosh. And it, I, it was funny because we'd walk away and Lindsay goes, wasn't the right one, was it? Because I would look at someone and go, I have two girls. I have a 20-year-old and I have a 14-year-old. And the other ones, I would go, I'm going to apologize in advance for this answer. <laughs> think about what I just said. I apologize to them to answer honestly. Yes. And I would say, I tell them the truth. I have three, but I have an angel and I have these two. And it's not just because one's better than the other. And I speak about it with such candor because that is my life. Mm -hmm. That's my normal. But I'm also 14 years out. Yes. At the beginning, I didn't want to answer the question. I didn't want to engage in the conversations. And I would see the people who knew me across the room struggling so hard with how to engage with me that day. And I would just go up to people and go, just talk to me, use her name. And you shared something that struck me. And even I forget it, keeping the memory alive of somebody that others never knew. With Caroline's life and death, there were seven and three quarter years that that blonde haired, blue eyed, ear to ear grin and goofy girl got to embed her light into people's souls. And they share that with me to this day. It is the greatest gift I have. 
but here you are and what you carry with you is the hope of what should have been not the memory of what was and so to take that forward talk a little bit about samuel's role in the lives that your family has well exactly i mean it's the what ifs that haunt you right i mean that's really what it is because i i want to see him i want to know what his eyes would have looked like what his smile would have looked like i mean any little bit eats at me every single day with that you know that's the a part of that loss too but yet the world never got to meet him i was the closest thing to him and even i didn't get to meet him outside of my body you know, but I still feel like, okay, I got to meet him a little bit being inside me, you know, and all that, like, you know, you have those tender moments when you're pregnant. Um, but for sure, I mean, luckily we, uh, gave birth right before COVID. So we were able to have some family members come and hold him and see him. But when there's no tangible thing out there and the only picture you have, and quite honestly, I'm going to be blunt is a picture of a dead baby. Uh, you know, that turns people off to it. And, but yet you are proud of it. So it's, it's a very weird world, right? You don't want to uh, cross the boundaries of what's socially acceptable to talk about uh, or to be okay with, but also this is my child. And I have the only picture that I have of him and I'm going to share it. <laughs> so I had to get, I had to walk that line a lot. When you say socially acceptable, it's my kids have been playing at Calvary Cemetery since Carly was born. I was pregnant with her shortly after Caroline passed and I had to go to the cemetery every day and the ground wasn't hardened. I laid, I always said, I go my nine month pregnant body laid there and there's indentations in the ground. So I'm a part yeah. of Caroline's place. Um, <laughs> but my kids, Lindsay was seven. They have been there their whole life. That is a place for us that is it's normal and then i'd be after school like hey we're going we call it caroline's place my dad's there now poor guy gets gypped every time um <laughs> but we call it caroline's place and we take the dogs and but then i'd have to call my kids friends and parents and go hey we're going to the cemetery after school is that okay <laughs> right. and i'm like most people are like we're going to graders <laughs> right i mean it's it's surreal but it is real and but talking about it sharing it this forum, the forum with the friends that you made, the circles that you made of people that were going through something similar, the voice that we give to our greatest, deepest pain is also where you find the gift, it, 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 the gift, and I use the word, and not everybody's there at the same time with it, but there's something that comes from this. If there's not a gift that you can find someday, then it then there's nothing but loss and it doesn't make sense. So we look for something mm -hmm. and sharing it, talking about it. You know, we come together because of an illness that people don't talk about. It's that voice is what I think every day, at least for me, maybe it lessened. It took the edges off the pain. It never made it go away. I still have it 14 years later, but I talk about it. This is my forum. I speak in public. I will share it. I will tell the poor stranger at the bar at Miami because they might have a connection or yep, I don't yep. know, maybe they go hug their kid tighter that night. I don't know. So I absolutely agree. And that's, that's why I've tried to make it less of a stigma to talk about stillbirth 
because uh, it's not something that people like, you know, know a lot about and want to talk about. It's especially if you're of childbearing age, you don't talk to your pregnant friends about stillbirth. You know, it's just weird and no one wants to talk about it. And as you know, the minute you mention it, the conversation changes and the dynamic of that conversation changes. But, you know, if if I've done anything, we've lessened the stigma. And the next time I talk about it, they'll be a little less uh, apprehensive, but, you know, like you said, saying their name, you know, that was huge. Keeping him alive in a way, um, in my heart, I want to say his name. I named him. He was born, maybe not alive, but he was born. And so that's kind of where I go. I want the world to remember that. So we do several things, um, just like you guys do. Uh, to to try to keep his memory alive. The play um, the playroom at the Ronald McDonald House is named Samuel Space uh, because I have great friends over there and they they adopted a room for him, so it will always be Samuel Space. And how how awesome is that? When when Caroline passed away, um, I was desperate, desperate within months. So I, I have to start a foundation. Something. Somebody said to me, what if the best legacy for of her is to love the two you have and to be there for them? And because Carly was born nine months later. So here you know, our, our dynamic is, you know, when I get to heaven and I've got my time at the pearly gates, somebody's going to do some explaining about the logistical time flow, because I think it's a little crazy right. to change it. You know, here we are and we're trying to figure out how to do all this. And then you've got Emma. So you've got a little baby at home. So there's no downtime. There's no mommy need, mommy and daddy need to recover. And then there's explaining that to her and the choices that you had to make. So you're in this journey, the worst probably experience you can imagine in your life. And you do have to get up the next day because there is a little girl who's just looking for mommy and for daddy. And she also has to be explained to where the baby went that mommy and daddy were bringing home. Yep. That's just a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> and being postpartum with that too. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they understand it at a certain level. I mean, they don't understand it, but they are in tune to a different level than, than the adults are, you know, with loss and grief. And they're so pure about it. Uh, and that honestly almost helped us in a way because she would just be like, well, he's up in heaven. You know, I mean, he's with God and she, he would, she would ask all of these questions that we didn't know the answers to. And we're just you know, going by the seat of our pants. And, you know, she was just, she was just pure, but she absolutely helped me get through that time because I had her to hold on to, you know, and she, she gets it. Now she's, uh, a big sister to um, Cameron, who is one year old, who he had, he's our rainbow baby um, that we had uh, just uh, last year. So, well, um, I want to jump here ahead in a second to talk about choices and some of the things and, and how that led to a mom's life. But here you are. Well, so, so the, the podcast came before Cameron arrived. The podcast came before Cameron. Yeah. The podcast came um, probably about five months after, um, Samuel, 
I'm thinking that was about right. So my friend and I reconnected. I mean, we worked together um, at, at a television station, local one. And then we were both like, gosh, we just need something. We need a purpose again. You know, we wanted to get back into the, the broadcast field. We wanted to um, help people tell their stories, just much like you do here. Uh, and we just were like, let's do a mom's life and talk about the things that moms don't talk about. So we've talked about addiction. We've talked about depression. We've talked about abuse. We've talked about um, postpartum depression. We've talked about stillbirth, miscarriage, you know, and through that journey, it has helped me heal so much because I was able to help people. And I heard from other people um, who had gone through pregnancy loss and things like that. And honestly, I, I mean, maybe not with every, every friend, but I know several friends who have reached out to me after their own miscarriages and things like that. You become sort of an expert on <laughs> pregnancy loss. Then it's like, well, they'll know, she'll know what to do. But I, I value that role so much because if I can help somebody going through um, that tragedy, oh my gosh, I mean, what a greater, I wish I would have had that. It makes, okay, it doesn't, it's, it's never going to make sense but it helps it be, I don't know, I, I used to be sensible, that's a stupid comment. I mean, whenever somebody finds out they know of any child diagnosed with cancer, I'm one of the first calls they get. And, um, a good friend of mine just experienced this recently and that child did not survive. And when she called me in the throes of it, she's like, but you'll know what to say. And I had to say to her, I'm not the person right now today that they want to talk to. Yep. I'm not because they need hope. I don't represent hope. I represent so many things to people 14 years later, but in the throes of where that child was, I'm, I'm not hope. Mm. I'm, I'm your worst nightmare. Um, now, once that child went through, they lost their child and it's not time yet, but they know how to find me. And when they're ready, then I can offer, somebody can look at you or me and go, wait a second they're still here. They smile. They laugh. Here's two women on a Zoom talking about losing their children and they still smile. And it's because we had a choice and choice doesn't happen overnight. And it's not clear. There's not a path where we woke up one day and God said, okay, you've got anger and despair over here and you've got joy and hope over here. So I'm going to ask you what you're going to pick and then we'll plan out how you're going to get there. <laughs> but we both know that that's not how it works. But there has to be an anchor of something in our hearts, in our faith. And that faith can take on a lot of different levels at different times. You and I talked at a point about a year ago and you shared really where your heart was regarding faith. And it was in a place of doubt. It was, you were still in, you were still angry and then you were allowed to be. But in that journey, you kind of got to figure out, like you said, one day at a time, what's my choice today? Mm -hmm. And it is a choice. It is a choice. And so talk a little bit about I don't know how, as you made the choice to move forward, what were the different steps for you that helped you get to where you are today? And maybe share a little bit about what does that faith look like for you today? Sure. So <clears throat> I would say maybe like six months after we lost Samuel, 
I was talking to a neighbor of mine who's a, um, he, he's from South Africa. So he has a little accent <clears throat> talking to him. He's a widower and uh, just about losing Samuel. And I, you know, I said, and you know, we'll probably try again. Um, and he just looked at me and he goes, as you must. And I was like, yep. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it, it was just like a, such an old way of phrasing it but it's so empowering, impactful to me. Cause I was like, yeah, as I must, I mean, I, I have to move on. Like that's, I have to, and, and not move on. You know, everyone gets those words mixed up with all the time after loss, but we don't move it, on, but we move forward. You move forward, you move on, you move. <laughs> you can't you know? stay still. It's no, not an option. You cannot. So <laughs> as you must. And it was just like, gosh, he's right. I got to stop, you know, sitting in this. What can I do to move forward? And that was really in my faith journey too, uh, because I struggled. I mean, right after that, I was, I, I was a pretty faithful person, you know, before that we, we, you know, went to church, we, we got our daughter baptized, you know, I went to a Lutheran college, um, but this loss didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense. And not, I, I'm not saying any loss does, you know, but this one was like, well, what was the point? I didn't even get to hold him. I didn't even get to see his first breath or his laugh or anything. I didn't get any sort of memory to take with me. And so I was angry. Still have some days, <laughs> probably parent coming through this. Um, and I had, uh, big conversations with my pastors afterwards because I was searching for that why like why did this happen I don't understand why us you know and they're just like they always would say you know God can take it God can take you being mad at him that's all right and so you know that I was like all right I'll be I'll be mad um you know but the the big thing for me is it's changed the way that I look at prayer <clears throat> and, and everyone has their own individual thoughts on prayer and their, you know, um, you know, relationship with it. Um, but for me, it opened up my mind to be like, I, I, I don't think in my personal opinion that God answers prayers in a way, right? I mean, so what's, to stopping him answering, you know, your prayer over my prayer, like my God, the God that I believe in isn't so petty and, and picking and choosing whose prayer they're going to answer. So I really had to come to terms with that to be like, and I was like, why pray? Why pray? You know, and then I didn't for a while. And I just, I struggled with that. Um, but then I've, I've really come back to the thought of it's a conversation at that point, you know, it's a meditation, it's a conversation, it's just being, it's mindfulness and, uh, you know, acceptance and all of those big things, but it's not asking for things in my view, because I don't, so I don't ask for things anymore because, <laughs> and I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I, that's the way I feel because I had so many people, I will pray for you, we'll pray for you. And I'm like, well, I don't think that does anything. <laughs> I think having a conversation, sure. And to put your feelings out there to God, you know, about 
what you're going through and about, you know, your, your hopes and your dreams and your apprehensions and all that is super important, but I don't know. I, that's totally changed my view on prayer. And, and that's, um, the, one of the things that I don't do anymore is write my thoughts and prayers because everybody says that on a Facebook post about a loss or when somebody loses a parent or any kind of loss, it's thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And I got so sick of hearing that after my own loss that I've challenged myself now to go deeper, you know, instead of saying that I, if I cannot think of something better than that to say, I don't say anything on a post on, you know, social media, unless I can, you know, say, I, you know, my heart is breaking for, you know, things that are deeper, that are more meaningful than, than that. So that's just part of my little journey, but overall, you know, we're still working on it. I'm going to be honest, you know, it's, it's still, we're still fresh in this a few years out. Um, COVID's happened since then. We didn't get to, I mean, right after we had him, it's like COVID happened. So then we couldn't go to church, which did not do well for that. Right. I mean, that connection again. So That's we're, funny. we both Caroline passed away. I didn't go to church for two years because she loved, she loved, she loved church. She loved to sing. She went to Catholic school. So <sighs> I, and my last vision was of a casket in the middle of like the Catholic mass. I, I had a kid that went to church every, every Wednesday and mommy, I'm, I'm singing in the choir or mommy, I, I get to read. It took me two years before I could go back. And that was my, that was a part of my faith. It was, a, it wasn't so much the church as it was the place. It was too hard. And I remember literally going, okay, let's try this week. Let's try this week. Yep. And you talk about prayer. And the interesting thing is I've, I've learned, I've, I've really, I'm part of all these different things with women in Christian leadership. We have um, Watch Women on the Wall, which is people can sign up for an hour spot that they pray every week. Um, and the goal is, gosh, Cindy's going to kill me, but it's like 164 hours in a week. The goal is that we have every hour covered and we are literally praying for the community that we minister to. Um, we're getting there. But there's so much about prayer. And I've said to the women on uh, with, with on the advisory board and some of the other ministry leaders for women in Christian leadership, I'm always like, what do you pray for? How do you, I mean, I'm asking at 53 years old, after 12 years of Catholic school, how do I pray? Right. And I prayed every single day. I had a ritual. I had holy or, uh, water. I had uh, relics that people, I mean, I had a shrine that my poor six-year-old would be like, are we doing that thing again? I'm like, yes, but God, because God's going to grant us a miracle. Mm -hmm. Well, and we know how that turned out. So I did, I, I, I couldn't pray because the God of my understanding, he didn't listen and he didn't hear. And then fast forward, 14 years later, and I look behind me and I look at my experiences. I look at who has come and gone in my life. I look at what I'm doing here in this environment with this podcast. And God's answered a lot of my prayers in ways that even words that I never asked. He's delivered in a way that I'm just now coming to appreciate 
and accept and be willing to accept in whatever meaning it has in my life. That's been the biggest piece. And I'm a work in progress because humble, open, and willing is, is, is my little platform, the power of how, and even if I can humble myself and pray, if I'm not open to whatever the answer is and willing to act on it, then I got to check myself. And that's kind of what I do. And if I'm not ready, I'm not ready. (laughs) But in all of this, you've had a journey and it's led you to this conversation. It's led you to bring hope for so many other women. Uh, It's led you to um, expand your family with the addition of Cameron. Yes, he has really been our blessing. You talk about, you know, faith and hope and all that. I mean, going through a pregnancy after loss is a whole nother journey. Um, But, you know, when he was born and I heard his cry, like, holy moly, was that like the power of um, all like circle back or again. And we felt we felt God's presence through him. We really did. So he is our blessing. He is our miracle. Um, and we, we look at him every day for that reason. We should have Carly come babysit Cameron because she's ours nine months to the day. Yes. <laughs> I always say the timing and talking about how you go through pregnancy after loss is a whole nother discussion. We'll talk about another day, <laughs> another installment for folks who might be experiencing that. Thank you for sharing your, your transparency and, you know, the story through a lens that can bring hope to people who are seeking it. And, and if anybody wants to hear more about the, the different things moms face on a daily, on a daily basis and um, hard things, happy things, um, things that sometimes we're afraid to admit, I will say, even though I have lost a child, there are days I don't necessarily enjoy the two living in my house. <laughs> yeah, right. I like to be, I like to feel like I'm a good mom. And it's a mom's life really does cover the gamut of so many different real experiences that raise us up and help us to know that, all right, we are normal, we're okay, and we will survive. And you're not alone going through all what you're going through, no matter what. I mean, I felt so alone going through this, but you know, you're one of the examples. Like I reached out to so many people, I mean, our losses are different, but yet they have so many similarities and those connect us in a way that it just like calms, I think. And it's like, we're in like the sisterhood now. (laughs) It's so funny how that is. You know, there's lots of sisterhoods you don't want to be a part of. I still don't know what the traveling pants is. I never, (laughs) but this is, this is the club you don't want to belong to, but I will tell you when, when you enter into it, regardless, the greatest gift is others that have gone before you who can, who can help you survive and help you realize that you're not alone. And that is the greatest gift. And that's, that is what it's a mom's life is all about bringing each of the stories to the forefront of the conversation so that the ears that are meant to hear them have that opportunity. So thank you for being my guest. Thank you for being my mentor. Thank you for being my friend. Oh, right back at you, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. I apologize again for my voice, everyone. <laughs> oh, I've so enjoyed it. Oh, you won't, you, you maybe hear Natalie uh, another time without her, her, uh, her scratchy voice, but um, well, This has been another episode of It's Her Story, and we hope that you guys will come back and join us again. 
And until then, may grace be yours. Thank you for listening to It's Her Story. I'm your host, Karen Colonna, bringing the heart, the soul, and the brilliance of women to the forefront through their unique stories. If you have a story that you'd like to share, if you'd like to learn more, visit us online at womeninchristianleadership.com. Subscribe so that you don't miss our brilliant lineup of guests. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of It's Her Story, brought to you by Women in Christian Leadership, a Jeannie Porter production.